0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at thesportshistorynetwork.com.
1: The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from PigskinDispatch.com.
2: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen. It's a Rose Bowl month, December, 100 years of the Rose Bowl Stadium, and we are having another great episode talking about another fantastic aspect in game of Rose Bowl history, and we're going to do it not alone, but with one of our favorite historians, Joe Ziemba. Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the Pig Pen.
1: Hey, thank you, Darren. Always, always an honor to to be with you and to discuss, discuss football and Thank you once again for all you're doing to preserve the great history of football in this country. Well, I can turn right around and uh,
2: on behalf of all the listeners and readers, uh, we thank you for what you're doing to preserve football history, because you're doing much more than I am. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) Never, never. But thank you very much.
2: (laughs) Well, Joe, you are a, a unique historian And, you you know, you have a lot of great books out there on football history, but this is a very unique Rose Bowl that uh, you're going to be discussing tonight. And uh, we are sure interested to hear about it.
1: There's so many unique aspects of the 1942 Rose Bowl, which was played on January 1st, 1942, and of course had the, the good teams from the 1941 season. And the reason I got interested in this was for a couple of reasons. One, I did a book a while ago on Morgan Park Military Academy football, and one of its graduates is Wallace Wade, who was one of the all-time great college coaches, won a couple of national championships, I think three, uh, was at Alabama and Duke. Uh, And also the other reason uh, was, of course, Pearl Harbor took place right before this game and it caused some really some difficulties in scheduling but uh, between those two concepts of interest I guess there's kind of a cool story behind the Rose Bowl and how it all occurred and some of the background ramifications that I never considered till I looked into it a little little more deeply
2: yeah I, I didn't even think about that aspect we're talking what three weeks earlier was Pearl Harbor
1: Yes. Yeah. December 7th. And here we have a game on January 1st.
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, that definitely sets the table for some interesting uh, events to take place for this Rose Bowl.
1: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, the teams were already set. It was going to pit Duke with 9-0 record, ranked number two in the country against Oregon State ranked 12th with a 7-2 and record, and those teams were all set before, before Pearl Harbor, unfortunately, hit. So we had the winner of the Southern Conference playing the winner of the Pacific Coast Conference, as it was called at the time, and Wallace Wade, who we just mentioned, was the head man at Duke, and he would be opposed by Lon Steiner, who uh, coached Oregon State and was the youngest Rose Bowl coach in history. He was only 38 years old at the time. So it ended up being the only Rose Bowl game that was played outside of Pasadena until 2021 when the COVID pandemic hit. And the reason for that, of course, was Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. But in the week afterwards, everyone was still assuming the game would be played in Pasadena. In fact, Wallace Wade was quoted on December 13th as saying, We're going to be there, he said. We're going to go cross-country to Pasadena because we are the invited team. In the first place, it would be bad manners on our part to suggest that the game be called off. In the second place, the people on the West Coast know best about the situation out there. All we can do is go ahead and prepare to play the game. Naturally, if they decide the emergency warrants cancellation of the game, or if the government advises the same, we can only do as directed so wade intended to play the game uh, but a few things happened uh, right after that that was his statement on the 13th uh, on the 14th there was more information coming out of possibly having to cancel the game and you and i are probably our listeners weren't around in 1941 to really capture the fear that was going on if the japanese army or navy etc air force could do this at pearl harbor could they easily attack the West coast of our country? And so that was the fear. So pretty immediately the government said there can be no large gathering of people. And the first event that was canceled was the Rose bowl. And that took place on, I think on December 14th, a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant John DeWitt uh, from the army was the one who came up with the decision that both the game and the Rose bowl parade would have to be canceled. So what do they do? Um, Either team, both teams wanted to play, of course. And so pretty much immediately, Wallace Wade, the coach of Duke, offered to host the game in Durham at the uh, Duke Stadium, which held 52,000 people. Uh, There's a lot of uh, preparation had already been done. In fact, one of the estimates in the newspaper said that Oregon State, acting as the host of the originally scheduled Rose Bowl, had already spent about $20,000. They'd also sold about 60,000 seats bringing in about $265,000. So all that money would have to be refunded. Uh, They're going to have to start from scratch, only having about two weeks to prepare. And this is on December 16th, and the game would be played roughly 16 days later. So um, everyone agreed that, yeah, if we can have it, if the government gives the approval, we're going to move the game to Durham and have it anyway And the athletic director of Oregon State was named Percy Losey, and he said, we're going to go. Now remember, it; it's still the Rose Bowl game. Only the locality has been changed. So it was really a, a good attitude. Everyone was pitching in to make sure the game was going to be played. And soon enough, Oregon State got on the train. Turns out to be a five-day trip going across country. They stopped in places like Omaha, Chicago, Washington D.C., leaving the West Coast on December nineteenth, but nineteenth, but not arriving in Durham until December twenty fourth.
2: Well, hey Joe, if I could just stop for a second, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to appreciate the challenges of that. You know, here we are; it's December sixteenth, and in any year, trying to organize uh, something as major as that. You know two thousand miles away from where it was supposed to happen, be a challenge anytime. take that into wartime and the nation gearing up for war and I'm sure people were on edge and tr- there's probably some you know, travel restrictions and things like that and uh, man what a what an accomplishment to uh, organize something like that that uh, really hats off to the folks that did that.
1: Oh, it was amazing, and of course, Wallace Wade is given credit rightfully for saving the Rose Bowl maybe not just for that year, but for the future by pulling things together. And one of the sad stories we don't hear about was there was a a player on Oregon state named Jack Yashihara. And I know I mispronounced that of Japanese descent. And he was not allowed to go with the team. Uh, He saw him off from the train platform, but because he was uh, Japanese, um, he was not allowed to travel more than 35 miles and Oregon State could not get permission for him to travel with the team. But that's kind of the things that we don't really consider how it affected different people. But all the planning that had been done, as you mentioned, the ticket sales, uh, all had to be reversed within a two-week period of time. Hmm. Yeah, that's a
2: crazy time of the year <laughs> to get that done in a crazy period in American
1: history. That's uh, That's really something. It was. And, of course, now that the Rose Bowl was going to be moved across the country, uh, Wallace Wade uh, wanted to assure everyone that things would not change. And he told the Pasadena Post in California, he said, we want to make the game resemble an official Rose Bowl game whenever possible. In getting things started, we will conform entirely to Oregon State's and the Tournament of Rose's wishes. So Wade was ready. Duke was ready. The teams were ready, and they uh, were finally getting ready to play the game, which would, of course, take place as it always does on uh, January first. So that was just some of the things to to think about behind the scene. Uh, once the tickets went on sale at Duke, uh, fifty two thousand seats at four dollars and forty cents each, Darren mm-hmm. were sold out in about eighteen hours. Wow. And there's kind of a, a kind of pros and cons again of how each team prepared. For Oregon they had that four or five day train trip where they couldn't really practice that well and in Durham the Duke team all the players really kind of realized they were going to be going into the service as soon as possible so they talked Wade who was a notoriously tough coach into allowing them all three days off to go home and visit with the family over Christmas so These are things that the hardships faced by both. And of course, both teams were going to be affected by the war. And I believe Oregon State had 29 of the 31 players enter the service almost immediately after the game. But other little things helped. Uh, They had already printed programs up in California. So 25,000 programs were shipped to Duke. Uh, The queen and her court could no longer be in a parade. So they marched down the street in Pasadena uh, in their regular clothes before no crowd at all, just to say they did it. So it was kind of a uh, tough on everybody. And the poor queen was 17 years old at the time. And they are asked about, <laughs> she was such a, a good sport about it. And she said, I, I just guess it couldn't be arranged, And we didn't really plan on going, but we're not disappointed now because they couldn't go to the East coast for the game. So and also, what do you feed everybody? Well, they mentioned that barbecues all over the Duke campus were set up to help feed the uh, people who were coming to the game. Little things like that. And and so the coaches were getting ready too, start to play mind games. How do they scout each other? Of course, they're so from so far away. In fact, it's the only time these two schools have ever met on the football field. And uh, Coach Steiner said that he and uh, Coach Wade – had promised each other they're not going to look at movies showing the opposing team in action. And Steiner said, we agreed not to dig up any dope on each other, but just to take whatever information might drop into our laps. Of course, Steiner then thought, I try not to pay too much attention to whatever might be sent my way by mail, but I'm talking about football games in general, just not this one, but you've got to read your mail before you know whether it's stuff you shouldn't have read. And all the time, a guy has to wonder if maybe he'll wake up at night of the game and decide that something he paid too much attention to was something he shouldn't have read at all. So the coaches kind of went in unprepared as well, Darren.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's got to be a a coaching uh, nightmare because we know how inquisitive and uh, prepared coaches want to be. They'd
1: love to get whatever advantage they can get. And Wallace Wade's story was kind of interesting as well because going back to his days at Brown University and his coaching at Alabama and Duke, this was going to be his sixth appearance in the Rose Bowl, uh, which was kind of interesting as well. He didn't always have the greatest record there, but uh, he was one that really believed in the Rose Bowl and wanted to keep it going. Uh, so Back in his days as a, uh, a guard at Brown University and with his other teams. So he is um was there six times, I think. Uh, but his teams were so good at Duke, he lost only five regular season games the last five years. So Duke was heavily favored when they, they finally took the field. And they were at four to one odds that Duke would win. Which, of course, the coach Steiner of Oregon State really objected to. He thought they were more on the equal level, but they decided, as coaches do to this day, that the decision would be made on the field as to which was the better team. They didn't
2: have rankings back in those days, right? So we don't we don't really know where they would have been ranked at all,
1: right? Yeah, um, according to some of the polls, and they weren't as scientifically completed although some people may argue with that today duke was ranked second and oregon state ranked 12th
2: okay so we have uh some, two pretty good teams uh by any standard meeting up in this rose bowl so that's
1: that's a good sign yeah of course some folks felt that maybe wade was spending too much time in the preparations for the game rather than preparing his team for it his team was gone for three days the week before the game but Again, here's his opponent spending four or five days on a train coming across country. And when Oregon got there, they were set up at the University of North Carolina for practices. They golfed one day and they went to a polo match, Darren, uh, which I haven't seen before. Um, Meanwhile, Duke was taking things really serious. Wallace Wade locked the gates to the stadium, wouldn't let anybody in unless they were one of the staff members to see what his team was doing. In fact, he was not known as the most personable guy. In fact, it was rare that he smiled. Someone made the mistake of asking him before the game, how do you think it's going? And he said, what do you think I should say? You can't tell what a team will do once it breaks training and resumes its practice session. So I'm assuming he was not happy. The players talked him into their mini vacation. Then uh, Wade added physical condition and mental attitude will play leading roles in the outcome of the new year's day game. We don't know if our boys are in shape for a game. They're able to stand up under practice sessions, but a game competition is quite different. So that was Wallace Wade before the game. And, well, the game itself was a, a really good one, even though Duke was favored by four to one. As I mentioned, it was seven to seven at the half. In the third quarter, Oregon's George Zellick uh, caught a pass from Bob Deathman, and they took a fourteen to seven lead over Duke. Duke came right back with a one-yard plunge by Winston Siegfried to tie it up. Before again in the third quarter, Gene Gray picked up sixty-eight yards for a touchdown and a pass play from Deathman. And now Oregon State was up 20 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, the only scoring was Duke registered a safety for a 20 to 16 score, which was the final score of the game. And part of the problem was Duke had seven turnovers during the game. And people again were questioning did Wade spend too much time off the field working to save the Rose Bowl, which we're glad he did rather than working with his team. And at the time, Darren, it was considered the biggest upset in Rose Bowl history. And of course, as we mentioned, most players entered the service right after the game, including Wallace Wade, who served over Europe and saw action on the field. He wasn't one of those coaches, even though I think he was in his 40s and was sitting back. He uh, actually was in the field. Uh, I think he was at the Battle of Bulge and several other historic engagements. And several years later, The Duke stadium where the game was played was renamed and still is named the Wallace Wade stadium. Wow. Okay. So that's, uh,
2: you said, you said they, they did not play the COVID year. They did not play that at the Rose bowl venue. I think they played that down down in Texas, right? Didn't they? Yeah. In Arlington. Yeah. Okay. So two times out of a hundred years where the game has been played. And this is one of them in 1942. So yeah great yeah. great research on that that's a yeah, great job you.
1: great story and we thank you of course for all this month bringing all these stories about the rose bowl they've been fascinating and um, i'm really uh, glad to contribute a small amount with this very unique and wonderful game back from january 1st of 1942
2: yeah wow that's a that's a super job and uh you know Glad that uh, Oregon can come back and not only win the game, but but give them a game. But despite all the, the travel and everything they had to do, I mean, that, think about that. You said they left on the 19th and they found out the 16th that the game was going to be switched. So you're hurrying up and packing suitcases and getting all your gear together and getting a team, you know, travel arrangements and not a lot of time to uh, put the,
1: in a the game plan or anything. So great job by Oregon, too. It was. One of the fun little facts about this was when they were traveling east, they stopped in Chicago, and arrangements were made to practice at Stagg Field at the University of Chicago. And when they got there, they found out apparently their equipment was on a different train, and it didn't arrive in time. And so they had to borrow jerseys from the University of Chicago so that they could practice uh, at least one good one on the way east.
2: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. That is uh something you know, Alonzo stags, a pretty unique character himself. You know, he's, oh, absolutely. Sometimes he comes out with some great surprises. <laughs> uh, that's one day, you know, also his contribution to help the Rose bowl go with letting letting them yep. practice at their facility and using their equipment. So, wow. That's some good stuff. Joey really appreciate you. You joining in here just you know a couple of times here for this Rose Bowl month and we really appreciate you and the other historians and authors that are contributing to this because it's really making it something special for a very special venue very
1: special game in, in all of our hearts for football history. and we're all looking forward again to another renewal in just a few short weeks on January first.
2: Absolutely so Joe thank you ever so much once again uh Folks, make sure you listen to Joe's podcast, uh, When Football Was Football, Sports History Network, and wherever your favorite podcast uh, providers are. And Joe, maybe uh, take this opportunity to tell about your latest book and uh, where people can get that as well.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, the latest book is called Bears versus Cardinals, the NFL's oldest rivalry, and available just about anywhere your uh, bookstore online or for um, McFarland Publishing, Amazon. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to to mention that as well It's a lot of fun putting together and going back really, really deep into NFL history, including finding out previously unknown records and financial records of teams like the Bears and the Cardinals. So it was fun doing it. And uh, thank you again for the kind mention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Joe, thanks again for spending your time with us. And uh, we'll like to talk to you about uh, some more great football history
1: coming up real soon. So thanks, Joe. Thank you, Darren. Look forward to that as well. Take care.
2: We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets facebook twitter instagram and don't forget the pigskin dispatch youtube channel to get all of your positive football news and history special thanks to the talents of mike and gene monroe as well as jason neff for letting us use their music during our podcast pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the sports history network the headquarters
0: of sports yesteryear